what's up ecosystem welcome back to ati auto business it is wednesday it's noon and we're back with some live carrier advice with your dot guy brian Riker with fleet compliance solutions and the goal of this show is to take live questions also share news stories and articles important topics that deal with compliance fmcsa dot regulations, IRP, IFTA, ELD, Clearinghouse, Drug Consortium, uh, DQ files, roadside inspections, whatever you got, whatever your question is, you can ask it here. It's about a 30-minute show, so feel free to jump into the live chat. Nobody here right now. You know, I know we've thrown people off. It was a weekly show for quite a while. Now it's more of a monthly show. Oh, hey, John Cochran is here. What's up, John? How are you doing, man? you have any questions? Any thoughts, anything to share? And you can talk about, we go beyond compliance. You want to talk about business. Do you want to talk about brokers or dispatchers or dealers or auctions or whatever you want to talk about? Business plans, ramping back, interest rates. Maybe you want to whine a little bit. You can do that too. Um, please do feel free to share this link and leave a like. If you can find a like just laying around the the cab somewhere just slap it on the screen for me thank you so much for doing that and let's do this it is now time for the first time in 2023 back on ati your dot guy brian Riker. brian can you see me and hear me okay hey jay thanks for having me been a long time stranger <laughs> it well it has been a few minutes um but it feels like yesterday <laughs> So, and you know, Artie's in here with Ants Transportation. Danny B is in here. Well, that's pretty cool. Thank you guys so much. We'll give a applause to the live chat. All right, so we'll just jump right into it. Um, you know, we'll just go with what we know. And that is that there's plenty to talk about. There really is. I found this article um, gearing up for 2023. Landline Magazine, OIDA. They do a pretty good job of staying on top of topics, and they have kind of the company and staff, right, to pull that off. Because it's a, I mean, it's very busy. There's a lot, there's so much to keep up with. Interviews, can you imagine putting out a magazine monthly on compliance? Oh, it, I'm, I can only imagine, because it's hard for me just being one of the editors that contributes to American Towman and Tow Industry Week magazine. I can't imagine putting out a project like they do. There, there's a lot that goes into it. Oh my gosh, so much. So, uh, so looking at this article, <laughs> truck parking at the top. Now we all know about truck parking. Um, in that it's it's been in the news. Gosh, it seems like forever. But I, I want to say I, I want to. I found this article on Transport Topics. It did, this is today. Well, I guess it came out yesterday. Truckers need better visibility into open parking spaces, which is a really good point. Mm -hmm. Now I don't want it to be lost. It's not that there's plenty of open parking spaces, but truckers do need better visibility into the ones that might be there. Just like when you go into a lot and it says number of spaces open, that's helpful, but you don't see that until you got to the lot. It sounds to me like there's an app that needs to be, I mean, I know there's, like we don't have enough apps. Thanks, Jay. But so, am I wrong? What, what can be done here to provide better visibility into truck parking that might be available? Well, this is part of what, 
USDOT has uh, uh, decided to spend the money they got from the Infrastructure and Jobs Act on. Um, there are some private companies that are trying to solve this problem as well. You may have noticed when you drive along the interstate highway, you'll see the blue signs that tell you there's a rest area ahead. And sometimes you'll see them with a digital message on them telling you how many spaces are available. Now, that was a snapshot in a moment of time. And you may be 100 miles away from the parking spot. And when you get there, those 20 spots that were available filled up. But it's better than having no clue what's there. But there are some companies that uh, want to offer a digital solution that use sensors in the ground and other means to tell you that the pilot truck stop or the TA or the rest area on I-78 have X amount of open spaces. Um, and they're looking for government grant money and government funding to make that happen. I think it's a great idea because the one thing I've noticed and it really goes all the way back to September 11th, uh, uh, 2001, the attacks on the World Trade Center. Traffic patterns changed after that, at least on the Northeast. And then during COVID here, most recently, in the last couple of years, traffic patterns have changed again. And we're watching general freight haulers not drive overnight as often as before. Car haulers tend to drive during the day quite a bit because we need the daylight to see to inspect our loads. And we deal with a lot of facilities that don't have 24-7 access. So parking is limited and the patterns have changed. So you can't predict anymore with any accuracy when the truck stop or the rest area is going to fill up. It used to be you had till 7, 8 o'clock at night to get a parking spot. Now you better be finding one at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. So technology can help. So and I just want them to turn it into pay to park. Well, uh, I know. Isn't that the right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You get what now, you Now, that for. said, it is not really the taxpayer, the U.S. Department of Transportation's job to provide us a place to park our trucks while we're running our business, even for our mandatory rest breaks. Um, and it's not the job of the truck stop to provide 100% free Did parking Did you just either. say, wait a minute, well, who's... So let me ask you this. I like what you said, but so the question is, who? But who should pay for truck park? Well, we who, pay for it. We do in the form of paying higher highway use taxes and higher motor fuel taxes. So that is where the money needs to come to build this infrastructure. Is they can from the money pull it from paid. the cannabis fund? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so that's why I don't want to see commercialized rest areas on the interstate highway system where you're paying to park there because those were built with our tax money that we paid for. Now, the general taxpayer does not have an obligation to provide us a place to park our truck to run our business, but they do have an obligation to provide us a safe place to rest when we're in transit. What irritates me about truck parking is when you have the local who will park at the truck stop or at the rest area, leave their truck and go home for the night or go home for the weekend. And whereas when I had my fleet, we rented, then owned a parking lot to park them in. I didn't think that it was the local truck stop's problem to give me a place to park and store my car hauler. 
So that's that's where I was starting to go with this is it depends on what the parking spots are being used for, who should pay for them and how they should be made available. Well, you know, it's it is a really interesting issue because, I mean, I know a Home Depot. I always see trucks parked there. Uh, You know, I've seen maybe weird parking in the back of Burger King somewhere that nobody seems to use because even though the commercials are great, nobody goes and eats there. You know, so that's the thing is that, I mean, there's clearly a weird problem because people are just parking wherever they can. Yes, and and the problem's getting worse because towns, most recently uh, Macon, Georgia, are passing regulations to prohibit you from parking your commercial vehicle at your own house, even when you have the room to do so. Now, I'm fortunate where I live is a very rural part of Pennsylvania, and nobody gives a crap about a truck in a driveway. I can bring an 80-foot car hauler home, and nobody is going to bat an eye about it, and it's perfectly legal to park in my driveway. And I understand not everybody has that luxury. Um, That said, it's part of your cost of doing business to find a safe, secure, and legal place to park your truck because remember when you borrow the home depot parking lot and leave your truck over the weekend even if the store manager said it's okay they likely don't own that property because they're leasing it from somebody so maybe the property owner has a prohibition on it b your insurance company is not going to want to cover an unattended vehicle left parked in a random parking lot somewhere. They want to see it garaged at the address you gave them on your insurance policy when you're not in the truck on the road making a living with it. So there's concerns there. Well, and as already points out, I mean, yeah, dealers and auctions are great places to park. But when you go home for the weekend... Then you have a, another set of problems. Well, that that's it. When when I used to haul, my most common auction was the Newburg Auto Auction, now known as Mannheim, New York. And there were a half a dozen or better drivers, including one guy whose truck probably leaked more, used more oil than diesel fuel to go down the road. It was so bad that the Mannheim management made him only use one certain spot in the truck lot when he came in and parked because he was destroying the asphalt instead of just banning him from the property altogether. But there were probably more trucks parked with people on home time than there were trucks there loading on a Friday afternoon. And that made it very difficult, combined with the car pullers that fill all the spots with cars that they've pulled three days before the transporter is going to get there. It made it hard for me to pull in on my regular route Monday to Friday, park, unload, and get out of there. And there has to be a happy compromise because it's not Mannheim and Odessa's job to provide us with a place to leave our truck overnight either. Well, I think leaving the oily spot is what Gwyneth Paltrow calls conscious uncoupling. But let's move on. Uh, Artie says, asks, what's the legal way to hire an owner operator? All right. Great question. And well within my wheelhouse. So I'll stop getting yelled at in hate mail. Um, The only legal way to hire an owner operator is to lease them on to your company. You have to create a leasing document that is compliant with Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, specifically Part 376. Those are the leasing requirements. They tell you what must be and cannot be included in the lease and who can and can't be responsible for what. So you create a leasing document 
you vet the driver just like you would if you were hiring an employee. So you run their background, you run them through the clearinghouse. If they're a CDL driver, you give their information to your insurance company, make sure your insurance company is going to cover them and cover their truck. Because remember, when they're operating under your DOT number, you are the one responsible for it. It's your insurance, except for the non-trucking portion, the part when they don't have a load and they're going home or otherwise not operating at your direction. So you have to make sure you can get their truck and trailer covered, get a leasing document, and then you pay them according to your contract, which under the leasing regulations has to be within 15 days of when they turn in all the paperwork for proof of delivery. You can't tell them I'll pay you when I get paid or I'll pay you in 30 or 45 days. You have to pay them within 15 days of when they turn the paperwork in and be prepared because most owner operators are going to want to get paid as soon as they finish the trip or they're going to need cash advances, et cetera. So hiring an owner operator uh, to work with your company is not something to do if you don't have cash in the bank to support that truck as if it were your own. Good point. And uh, the question was, how do we contact Brian? I put Brian's email on air at yourdotguy.com. That's where you can email questions, contact Brian. Uh, Brian's company is fleetcompliancesolutions.net. And while we have a great program here, this is simple advice without it getting into legal obligation. Excellent way of putting that. Um, I, I would say when you want legal advice or financial advice, don't get it from two guys on YouTube. Contact a competent professional. I can, <laughs> I can only give you the basics during this show. So if you want to dig into detail is, and get some binding advice, then that is something we do off air. Which is really funny as you point that out. When you think of how many people got their whole business plan from YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> and, and ironically, on YouTube and LinkedIn, there's a couple of attorneys. You know who I'm talking about on the one girl that yeah, their right. whole shtick is giving legal advice without giving legal advice on yeah. air to generate customers. Yeah. Well, she gets a lot of... Uh... She gets a lot of attention too, so I mean, you know, congratulations. Oh yeah, and, and, and her her, her latest product has really got the carriers uh, in an uproar because it makes carrier four one one look tame. Stir the pot. <laughs> um, let's do some more here. So we got we're already halfway through. That's crazy. We covered one thing, but that's all right. Uh, I don't mind at all. Broker transparency, FMCSA stuff. I know we've been howling about this for a while. So has, you know, it seems like carriers. Is there any update to this? I mean, I'll tell you what caught my attention. Let's talk about this. What caught my attention was when I was reading about this, finding out that if a carrier, I guess a carrier, a carrier is entitled to know what the broker, what the money is in the brokered load. Is that right? That is correct. Under current regulation... All parties to the transaction have the right to have transparency. So mm -hmm. the carrier has the right to know what the shipper is paying the broker for their services, for the transportation portion of their services. And the, the shipper 
has the right to know what the broker is paying the carrier for hauling the load. The shippers normally never ask what the carrier is actually getting paid. They could care less. They All they care is that the rate is within normal for what the lane should pay. The truck driver, the owner operator, they want to know how much of the pie the broker is keeping. And when this rule was written, it was a really simple transaction. A broker really was just the middleman between the carrier and the shipper, and they didn't do a whole bunch of other things. Now, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this. I don't think we need to know what the broker is making on the load. We need to know what they're making maybe on the transportation, the line haul portion of the load. And if they're getting paid accessorials like detention time or truck ordered, not used, etc. But a modern brokerage does so much more than just arrange the truck to haul the load. They work with their customers for all sorts of logistics management that is not included in that. And so when you get that big number that they're charging for handling this load, you're, you're probably going to draw incorrect conclusions with it anyhow. So in this petition, yeah. OOIDA wants to clarify and make the broker send this information out automatically after the load is done being transported. Because right now you have the right to see it. But the brokers will make it very difficult. They'll tell you you need to come to their office in person during normal business hours. Right. See, that's what whatever. got me when I read that. Say that again. That you have the right to this information, but the brokers make it difficult currently, generally by making you come to their office wherever <laughs> their office happens to Go be to their during office business hours and dig through the file cabinets. Now, this is opinion, and it may not agree with. The show's opinion, but my opinion is I don't give a crap how much the broker kept out of the load as long as the rate that I asked for is what I'm paid under the terms that we agreed to and that the rate I asked for covers my cost and my profit margin. I don't care what other extra services the broker is providing for the shipper that they're charging for. I don't care how much of a piece of the pie they keep because the broker is my sales agent. And so if they're bringing work to my table, whether I have to go on the load board to find it, or I've made a relationship with the broker and they're now calling me directly because they like the way Brian handles their freight, they're my sales agent. They get to keep as much as they want as long as they make me happy with the quality of freight and the quality of rate they provide. It's like a bonus for them if they get more because there are times and again i'm going to get people to disagree with me but there are times where the broker is paying you more than they're making on that load because they just need to cover it because of their contractual obligations there's other things to consider the broker has that top big dollar but they're paying you within 28 or four or 24 or 48 hours and they're waiting 45 or 60 days to get paid from their shipper. So they're floating that money to you. There's a lot more to it than just they're charging $3 a mile and they're only paying me 80 cents a mile to move that car. There's a lot more to it there. And it's a great point. And actually, cause I'm, I'm thinking of a couple examples. I mean, when you sit at a restaurant, you look at the menu and you see the price of your scrambled egg skillet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you all the costs and time that went into that skillet. Sure. 
Think about that. You pay $2 now, $3 on average and for if it a did, that'd be cup crazy. of soda at a restaurant. And that soda cost them about five cents a cup to okay, make. Okay, good point. And everybody knows soda's super cheap. Mm-hmm. Who goes up to the cashier and says, listen, I want the soda. I'm taking the soda. Here's a nickel. Uh-huh. Did anybody do that? No. <laughs> now, now, to answer your question, the latest really of what is going on with brokers, uh, FMCSA finally just took some movement on this recently. And... Not towards broker transparency, but towards the broker bond, because too many of us are getting screwed by unscrupulous brokers that are going out of business or have absolutely no intention of paying. They'll pop up a brokerage, they'll get a bunch of freight, they'll get a bunch of truckers to haul it, and then they disappear, and they've got one $75,000 bond, and they have a million dollars of freight to go against it. So now... The FMCSA is proposing a change where as soon as that bond is less than $75,000, the broker has 30 days to make it right or their authority is suspended and there'll be a public notice that their bond is less than $75,000 so that you know whether you're taking a risk doing business with them or not. Because if there's an action against their bond, it means they've done something wrong. So you should know that. And I'm all for that transparency. Well, and I think it's that transparency. This is where, I don't know if it's the pricing. I mean, the pricing is important and sensitive. But pricing is, I mean, pricing is a whole school of thought. Well, pricing is very subjective. And no two brokers are going to price it the same. No two brokers are going to offer the same services or even the same breakout. And, And pricing is a proprietary business model. If... Cheap and heavy, the biggest broker out there for freight, prices it one way. How about about perfume? Yeah. Like, how do you justify a $500 bottle of Gucci perfume? You don't. You cannot possibly justify that. No, you're you're paying for a name at that point. And and so that's the latest with brokers. They have a proposed uh, notice of rulemaking on more clearly defining broker and dispatcher. I don't know where that's going to go yet, and I don't want to get into that. I no, know you exactly. covered that. No, we're not going to talk. Okay, so actually, changing directions, Danny B is dying to know when doing pre-trip inspections, does it have to be a minimum certain of time, like 15 minutes, or what's the guideline there? Is there a guideline? There is no guideline. If you look at, um, I want to say it's 382.13, but don't quote me on that. Um, If you look at inspection of vehicles, all it says that compels us to do a pre-trip inspection is the driver must be satisfied the vehicle is in safe working condition, and I'm paraphrasing, before operating it. So... There is no minimum. If you can be satisfied that vehicle is in safe working condition by walking up to it and turning the key and leaving because you work for a line hall union company that has yard hostlers that do your pre-trip inspection for you, that is perfectly legitimate and legal. If as an owner operator, you do your own inspection and as a good driver, you should, regardless of whether your company does or does not, you only need to log the time it takes you to do it. If you can walk around that truck and check the lights, the tires, the steering, the suspension, the brake components, and know that it's happy, then if you can do that in three and a half or four minutes, then that's what all you have to log. Brian. Because remember, we're required to do a post-trip inspection as well. 
And, and the post-trip inspection is the only one that's required to be documented. And then for single truck owner operators, only if you find a defect. But the post-trip is the only one required to be documented. And so in the post-trip, if you spent 30 minutes at the end of the day, and post-trips are allowed to be done off-duty, if you spent 30 minutes doing your complete post-trip inspection, you parked the truck in your own home driveway, all you really need to check in the morning to be sure that it is safe to operate is that the neighborhood kids didn't come screw with something overnight you could really do one in three to five minutes. You could have a segment like driver legal jargon of the day. And if you teach drivers to say, so, you know, so when confronted, if asked, well, I, officer, I was satisfied given the, you know. <laughs> yes. Now, now this is a hot topic. This is a hot topic right now, Danny B, because motor carrier enforcement have started writing the defect and then writing a second violation that the driver should have discovered that. So the driver obviously didn't do a pre-trip inspection, which I take uh, exception to for things such as lights, because we know they can go out, but just bouncing down the road. Now, if you got a tire with steel belt showing through it, yeah, the driver deserves that one for not doing a proper inspection. That didn't happen in the 200 miles they were driving that day. That was a long time coming. But to answer your question, no, there is no federal regulation on a minimum time for a pre or post trip inspection. The regulation just says you have to be satisfied it's safe. And the regulation does say that you have to document one or the other, the pre or post trip inspection on your logbook for the actual time that it takes. Again, that's paraphrasing, but that's the intent of the regulation. Let's do one more here. Um, driver compensation makes me think of freight. Restrooms. This is really a no-brainer. You have to tell the business that they have to allow you to use the restroom. Isn't that wild? <laughs> In what yeah. other industry? I I, I know. And this is, what do you have on the screen is a Washington state bill, but there's now a federal uh, DOT regulation that's being considered, or I'm sorry, a congressional act for federal to compel anywhere that the truck services, shippers, receivers, et cetera, other than private residences to allow you to use a restroom, but only if they have a restroom available. They're not going to be compelled to build trucker only restrooms or build new restrooms. So it could be a portage on in the parking lot. It could be a job site that doesn't have one, and then, well, sorry, we don't have one. You don't have one. Do I mean do truckers trash bathrooms? What happened? Yes. Oh. Um, it's not all truck drivers' faults, but yes, a lot of truckers tend to trash the bathrooms at shippers and receivers. And, and, I, and I let me take that back. It's not a lot. Like with everything else, there's a few there's bad apples one that make guy. us all look bad. <laughs> right. Well, so it's, it, it's ridiculous that we are I mean, not allowed access. And even in areas where they've never trashed them, some of the facilities just don't want to let you pass the little window that hands your paperwork in. Remember, trucking well, is a lot more than hauling cars. And we're used to cars. We're responsible for the condition of our load and loading it on and off the truck. Well, your drive-in and reefer hauler, they're responsible for the condition of that load and how it's properly loaded and secured in their trailer. And a lot of places won't even allow them on the dock to inspect the load. And then they try to tell you when they deliver it that there's damage. 
there's an overall access problem for truck drivers, period, between shippers and receivers. Well, hmm. All right. Speed limiters. We did this last time. Let's just see what else is on this list. Uh, oh, I, the electronic IDs, ELDs, AB5, all the good stuff. All right, so... How, how do you want to end the show? Speed limiters? We'll do a speed round. Speed limiters, okay. still coming up. There's going to be some action on them mid-2023. Don't know about the proposed speed. They're going to decide whether they're all trucks or just trucks that require a CDL. But it's probably going to get delayed now that we have a split uh, Congress with the House being Republican and Senate being Democratic. So I don't expect much to happen. Uh, FMCSA is shooting for regulation, but it's going to take years uh, to be challenged in court. Um, yeah. IDs. Electronic, unique electronic identification. I don't like this one. It's an invasion of our privacy. They want to have a transponder, which if you have one voluntarily, such as the prepass program for bypassing the scales, that's great. You're voluntarily sharing that information. But don't make me put a transponder on my vehicle that is going to tell about my cargo, my origin, my destination, the driver's name and CDL number, the hours of service and et cetera. If they want to identify me, they can do that regularly. I have a USDOT number and a license plate on the truck and trailer that tells them all they need to know about that truck and who is responsible for it as the motor carrier. If they think that something is wrong, then initiate a traffic stop and collect the information the old-fashioned way. I am not going to broadcast my information where hackers and other nefarious people can intercept it, know where I'm going with my enclosed load of high-end cars or my load of pharmaceuticals in my dry van or whatever, and then go steal from me. They have all the information they need to know with the DOT number and the license plate on the truck. Point, Ryan. Man, that was really good, dude. Yeah. Stick it to him. <laughs> no, what you just said about the hackers, listen, up until that moment, I thought, well, this is an argument, you know, that uh, as we move into the big brother world, you can't stop it. But hackers are everywhere, and man, do they love hackable new technology. Oh, absolutely. And they, they, they want to tie this to your ELD and your GPS tracking on the truck and you'll have the shipping papers there. It will make freight theft so easy that anyone could do it. it. But, and by the way, is, it, is, is there a moratorium on shoplifting now? Like, it seems like shoplifting is just happening. There are videos where people are loading jeans into trash bags and walking out of a store. There, there's a lot of no-conflict laws in so, certain cities. If you're not going to monitor the products in a store, how is the truck safe? Uh-huh, exactly. There's no way. I, I don't want to give that information out there, even if it was secure, because unless they can see a visible defect... This, this violates our unlawful search and seizure protections because now we're walking up and saying, yeah, hey, I'm doing something wrong and I'm broadcasting it for you. No, there's still a little bit of cat and mouse about this. And I'm not saying that I support truck drivers doing anything against the law, but I am not going to make it easy for enforcement to find where I made an honest mistake. Start enforcing shoplifting, and then send me an email, and we'll talk. Sure. Yeah. All right. 
ELDs. Oh my, I, I've never liked them. And I don't drive. What's, yeah, well, where are we? What they want to do now is to extend the ELDs to all commercial vehicles, taking away that pre-2000 model year uh, exemption because they've determined that they can make mechanical interfaces that will emulate the data from the motor and allow the ELD to function. Plus, they're also figuring out that there's a lot of trucks that have pre-2000 model year engines, but are newer trucks with the computer that will talk to an ELD. So there is no real reason why the ELD can't be installed in a lot of these trucks. I say it's overreached. They're trying to expand the program a little further. That is my one side of how I say it. The other side is, well, What's good for one is good for all. And if we're going to have a rule, then it should be applied unilaterally. I'm not a big fan of exceptions and exemptions and carve outs. Uh, that said, I personally, along with a lot of owner operators that I know, made sure to buy vehicles with pre-model year 2000 motors when the ELD was coming out, just so we didn't have to deal with yeah. that crap. And now California is, is nixing and I hate to say this about California. They just get a bad rap, I think, too often. It's just a state, people. It's a state with beautiful weather. Okay. Well, not so, this week. Well, no. <laughs> They're being oh, cleansed gosh. for all of their wrongdoing. See, and I knew, see, I knew the cleansing argument was coming. Um, yes, California Air Resources <laughs> Board is awful. They have attacked... Well, older vehicles yeah you cannot have a model year 2010 or they're probably anything. the ones with the stores where you can shoplift yes they are oh <laughs> <laughs> um, let's keep going it's hor horrible yeah speaking of california ab5 oh it, probably my least favorite topic ab5 is attacking the owner operator and independent gig worker nothing has changed with it in california other than the stay of execution uh, was lifted so now they can uh, uh, apply it against trucking companies california just hasn't decided how they're going to apply it yet so there's been no real enforcement action on it um i see this will still get challenged and fortunately the u.s department of labor has backed off from copying the ab5 test nationwide that said, there still are six or seven other states that want to implement the exact same language that's in AB5 in California. So this issue is far from dead. You know, I mean, there's dispensaries going into states that I thought it would never happen. Uh, the House Speaker vote went to, what, 16 votes? Now there's a bill where they want to abolish the IRS. I mean, legally, you literally can't count on anything. No. It's everything. I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier. Abolish it all and let nature sort it out. <laughs> oh my god! And in the meantime, make sure you log into your FMCSA portal, check in with your clearinghouse, go talk to your drug consortium. Speaking of logging into the portal, yeah, and the same group that wants to put unique electronic identifiers to transmit to a secure air quotes for those of you listening along in podcast mm. India secure government portal the fmcsa admitted last month that russian hackers breached their database no. for your fmcsa portal no. and they suggest that you change i'm glad you brought this up jay i forgot about this wow that they suggest you change your user credentials 
do they know they were Russian? I don't know. <laughs> Why is it always Russian hackers? Isn't there a Russian hacker somewhere like... <laughs> really? Well, in today's day and age, it's either Irv, Russian I was never in aisle five. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, seriously, the same agency that wants us to transmit our personally identifiable information can't even secure what they collect. Well, and, and that is your argument against the electronic IDs. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, at its root, I'm really glad that we have those news articles to share, discuss, and and uh, and ponder. Um, I'm actually here, glad there's a lot on the table because that you know that makes it messy. Here's one to close out with. Yeah. Okay. Because we haven't talked since this went into effect. The communist state of Cal of Connecticut. No, I almost said California. Oh <laughs> Poor Connecticut. California. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont signed into law last year, 2022, and it went into effect January 1st of 2023, okay. a heavy Brace vehicle yourself. use tax. What is it? Heavy vehicle use tax. So it's a per mile tax that varies depending upon your weight from 26,000 pounds up to over 80,000. And for every mile you drive in or through the state of Connecticut, and you have to register for an account online. There is no decal or credential to carry in the vehicle. And then you have to file monthly, even once you've created the account. You do one trip in the Connecticut and you create the account. You have to file monthly thereafter, even when you have no miles in the state of oh Connecticut. Oh, my God. And they're going to enforce it at roadside when they pull you over and they log in and they, they check out you don't have an account. Then there'll be penalties. I do not know what the penalties are. But it's very similar to the New York highway use tax or the New Mexico weight distance tax that well, I was our thinking, folks might be aware of. Right. I was thinking some states have these things, but but the thing, the reason I blurted out uh, was because even if you go at let's so your third month after you've been to Connecticut, you're never anywhere near it. You have to file with zero or maybe there's yes. a penalty now, there. there. There's a way to there's a way to suspend the account but then you may not be able to get it back. And they have not made a provision oh yet for like an there's effective not a million temporary things trip to permit. keep track of. Yes, one more thing. And now they are the fifth state that has some form of a weight distance tax that applies to truckers. And this applies to any vehicle over 26,000 26, pounds and above. Right. So those of you running right at 26,000 pounds as a pickup truck trailer hotshot, this applies to you as well. Um, wow. And yeah, I'm wow. still learning about it myself, but uh, I want to leave you with the quote from Governor Lamont of Connecticut when he was questioned about this. I don't really care what truckers think. If they don't like this tax, they can go around Connecticut because we don't want them here anyhow. No. That was his response to a question posed to him by a reporter asking won't this hurt truck traffic coming trucks coming through and service in connecticut and his response was i don't care they can go around does he not know how stores get inventory i believe he does not he wow. he, he, wa he wanted to follow uh suit wow. for what rhode island had this done is for the governor struck down and have truck only tolls in connecticut too you know, and it's because Artie's like, speed limiters, bad idea. Who's pushing it? Well, 
I said Karen. <laughs> Karen, the crashing Karen. She, Karen is going to be road raging, and she's going to crash into your truck because she made you slow down while you drive. And yeah. that's the way we play Game of Death. Yes. With Karen. Starring Karen. All right, well, listen, uh, thanks for taking the time. Pretty informative, interesting stuff. Uh, we're now a monthly show, so we'll be back. We'll figure out a day in February where we'll come back, and um, we'll keep in touch on that. Let's see. We got the, there's the eighth, there's the fifteenth, there's the twenty second. So think about that eighth, fifteenth, or twenty second, and then we'll uh, we'll circle back, and that's kind of how we'll do it this year, maybe. Yeah, probably probably the eighth. Maybe do it the second Wednesday of every month for now. Mm, I like that idea. All right, so let's shoot for the eighth. All right, we'll plan for that, and then if we need to push, we can. That's actually a really good idea. And if something really important pops up, we'll have a special breaking segment. Ooh, breaking news from Live Care Advice. When it breaks, we'll fix it. Well done, Brian. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, everybody, in the live chat. And we'll see everybody. We didn't miss any questions? Yes. Okay, so we didn't miss any questions. But if you do have something that's just burning you up in between monthly shows and you need an answer, you know you can email on air at yourdotguy.com, and Brian will try to get to that answer. You can put it in the comments below, and otherwise we'll see you on February 8th. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Take care. All right, take care. Bye.